Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me, as always, is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Hey. Glad we could get this episode in today. A few weeks ago... We started talking about decision-making. Um, because of our schedule, we had to take a break and talk about heaven with Seth Miller. I don't like the break up the episodes like that, but uh, it was definitely worthwhile to talk about heaven with Seth. Um, so I hope you enjoyed those uh, episodes. If you enjoy what we're doing on Ordinary Fellowship, uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever service you listen to us on if you give us good ratings that would be helpful it helps us to be seen more visible Um, and if you enjoy the episodes about heaven or any other episodes that we've done uh, share them with your friends and family we do these episodes to be edifying and encouraging and teach um, and and point people to christ uh, whether believers or unbelievers so uh, that's why we're here today we want to like I said, we want to continue our discussion about decision-making with a slightly different angle. Um, before, we were really talking about decisions as when it comes to like big decisions, like career choices, buying something really expensive like a house, major life decisions. Today, we want to talk about making decisions about the gray areas. Okay, Now, Matthew, when you were a fundamentalist, were, were there any gray areas? That would be a no. Yes. <laughs> so um, it may come as a shock to you that there are gray areas. In other words, um, areas where the Bible that the Bible doesn't specifically address, um, where it's a matter of Christian discernment and wisdom, whether we engage in this or that activity. And um, the Bible actually gives us freedom in those areas. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and 15 is an excellent place. And I believe we've done an episode talking about those texts, but <clears throat> we've not talked about it in this way. So, And it's, it's helpful to talk about it in different ways to get the point across. Actually, the book that we talked about in our decision-making episode uh, by Gary Friesen has a whole list of things throughout his life that he's heard uh, Christians bicker over. You know, uh, like how long your skirt has to be before it's considered modest. Um, I know your fundamentalist friends, Matthew, have a have a standard for that. <laughs> yes, this is true. They um, do. And I, I don't. I don't want to get too far off the topic, but. But one of the problems with um, someone else setting the standard where the Bible doesn't give a specific standard is it leads to immaturity. It also leads to dependence on, on other leaders rather than you working through the Scripture, gaining wisdom, and um, trying to discern these things on your own. So there's there's a lot of problems with just handing this job over to somebody, um, a pastor, someone else, 
over you. So, any other thoughts about that before we dig into specific advice? Well, I would just add, the one thing I would add is, outside of the fundamentalist realm, sometimes you see this rising more and more online. This whole idea of discernment ministry, like there are people who online who think for you and tell you what you're supposed to think. And so that's another thing we have to be careful of is that ultimately we're responsible. You go back to Acts 17, the Bereans were considered better than everyone else because they went back and they searched the scriptures. And so that has to be what defines us. And so I think that's important, whether it's looking to a pastor or an elder or an internet blog or a college professor, whoever it is, there's nothing wrong with getting advice from them. But if I assume that I hold their beliefs because they're their beliefs and they're not my beliefs, and I've never figured out why I hold to them, ultimately that's going to lead me to the problems Jeremy talked about, me being immature, and then it's just going to raise because at some point that belief is going to be challenged and I'm not going to have an answer, which leads to another conversation we've had somewhat. And I think that's part of the reason why we see the rise of deconstructionism because people don't know what they believe. They just believe what somebody told them they're supposed to believe. And Yeah. And have never searched any farther. And, right. And advice or wisdom from other people is great. And we want that. Correct. <laughs> Ask ask your parents, your pastor, your deacons, your Sunday school teacher. Ask them for wisdom and, and helping you to make these decisions for sure. Correct. Absolutely. But ultimately, they're, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers, they're responsible for what they tell you, but they're not responsible for the ultimate decision that you make one way or the other. That's You're responsible for that decision. So let's let's talk then about how we make these decisions when it comes to gray areas. We're basically copying off of Sinclair Ferguson's article. Sinclair Ferguson's not the only one who's done this. Right. Um, Gary Friesen, the author of Decision Making in the Will of God, has his list as well. There's lots of different lists like this, and they're all very similar. But uh, this one we we stole from Sinclair Ferguson because he's superior to most people. I understand. <laughs> All right, so the first question you have to ask, and, and this is an absolute must, is it lawful? In other words, does the Bible forbid it? <laughs> if the Bible forbids it, um, it's not a gray area. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> You're not allowed to kill people, okay? The Bible says you shall not murder. So there's no, you don't need to go seek wisdom and godly advice on whether I should murder so-and-so. There's no question about it. If the Bible forbids it, we shouldn't do it. Now, obviously, people aren't going thinking murder is a gray area, but there are a lot of issues where people will say, for example, I'm not going to use the exact example. I had a discussion with someone at work, and uh, she said, well, if God calls me then I'm going to do this. And I said, but the Bible forbids it. You're not allowed to do it. But God called me. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't care it, it, I don't care who is telling you. The voices in your head, your pastor, your best friend, your mom or dad, the feeling in your heart, it, if it goes against what the Bible says, if it opposes the Bible, it's not a gray area. We're not permitted to do it, no matter how 
called you field to do this or that. If the Bible forbids it, we we can't do it. Uh, and that that's the bottom line. Now, here's the way uh, Sinclair Ferguson puts it. No action which is contrary to the plain word of God can ever be legitimate for the Christian. No appeal to spiritual freedom or providential circumstances can ever make what is ethically wrong anything else but sinful. So, amen. Claire Ferguson's exactly right here. If it if it's against Scripture, we can't do it. There's no freedom. As Christians, we obey the Word of God. Right, period. I, exactly. I think part of the struggle is, is that we tend to, in our culture, want to think about freedom as the freedom is, I can do whatever I want to do, and we don't realize that Spiritual freedom is freedom that allows me to pursue holiness. Ferguson talks about that a little bit in the article, but I just think that's a large part of how we get ourselves into these messes where we think, we never think, is it lawful? We just think, well, I hear a voice, or somebody told me, or I want to, and so I don't see any admonition in my mind that it's wrong because I haven't checked scripture to actually see if it's wrong. I just don't think it is. Or I don't feel guilty right, about it. Right. And the reality is is that we misunderstand freedom because freedom is supposed to push us to holiness, not antinomian, which or antinomianism, which I can do whatever I want to do. And when that gets into whole Paul's whole comments, shall shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. It's right. just really bad logic. So um, this is an absolute vital question, and it ought to always be the first question. And it may require that you search the scriptures. Um, and, and this would be what, a great place to talk to your pastor, your parents, your Sunday school teacher. What does the Bible teach about what it is that I want to do? And if the Bible forbids it, then obviously, uh, as Christians, we can't do it. So the next question I think that's first and fundamental. The next questions, though, aren't usually going to be so necessarily cut and dry when you answer them. And one of the things I appreciate about when Gary Friesen talks about these kind of decisions, we're, um, we need to basically work. He doesn't use these terms, but this is my way of saying what he's saying. Uh, we're to work our spiritual muscles so that we can we can get good at doing this get so that this comes so that we have the freedom but this is part of the responsibility that we have to do okay so we we need to do this work so <clears throat> it may not always be cut and dry he also talks about giving other brothers who differ space okay so you may answer these questions in one way or a brother and a brother and sister in Christ may answer it in another way. And his point is that you we need to allow for freedom in doing that. Okay? So the f- first question, the second question overall, but he says, is it beneficial? Um, does, does it benefit me? I like the way Ferguson p- puts it. Um, he says, The question I must learn to ask, will it bring benefits as far as I am able to judge so that my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened? Will it draw me nearer to him? So, a thing may be permissible, it may be allowable, 
But if it hampers your relationship to Christ, then it may be something that you need to put away. And sometimes that changes in your life. For example, early in my Christian life, I I burned all my uh, secular music and quit listening to secular music for several years and <clears throat> because it wasn't beneficial to me and it was hindering my relationship with Christ. But after about 10 years, I started listening again and I don't see the same problems as early in my Christian walk. So I feel free to do it because it doesn't it doesn't hinder my relationship with Christ like it did at the beginning. So I guess I'm saying the negative side is it is it beneficial does it help your relationship with Christ? But you can also ask does it hinder your relationship with Christ? Um both of those things are it's the same way of asking the same question really. Does it hinder or does it help? Um, any other thoughts on that? No, I just think it's a it's a good first question of these gray areas to ask. Because I think we never think about what it does. We just rather think about whether I want it or not. And we, and we allow ourselves to stop at want and never get to need or desire or the purpose behind it. And I think it's always good to stop and ponder and to think, how is this going to, as Ferguson says, how is this going to benefit me? How is this going to cause me to grow more like Jesus? Is this, or is it, or to say, as you said in the negative, is this going to keep me from growing like Jesus? Because I'm going to be so focused on whatever it is, it's going to divert my attention, which kind of leads into the next one. Right, and the underlying, the underlying assumption is that our life is meant to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so anything that gets in the way of that, anything that hinders it, any, anything that doesn't benefit that end, it, we, we probably don't want to do. So then the next one, uh, this is important, uh, is it enslaving? As Christians, we only serve one master. We only have one Lord. And anything that takes his place is off limits. So if the thing is enslaving, then we ought to be very careful or just stay away completely from that thing. And automatically, when this question is asked, alcohol comes, that's, that's one of the big gray areas. Not for Matthew's fundamentalist friends. Or my fundamentalist friends, this is a black and white. Right. Uh, you don't drink. But the Bible actually doesn't teach that. So this is an area, is it, is it going to be enslaving? The fact is, alcohol and other things, have the, at, at the very least, they have the potential to be enslaving. So we need to realize that when we're thinking through that issue for ourselves, they have the potential to be enslaving. We need to really consider our own hearts and our own weaknesses and our own struggles and honestly consider them before we make that this decision. Am I 
Am I prone to be enslaved to these kind of things? Someone who struggled with for years with alcoholism probably isn't going to want to drink because he knows he has a weakness in this area. If you have a family history of alcoholism, there's been a genetic link to alcoholism, you may want to consider not drinking for that reason. Now, there be, there's other things. This isn't just about drinking. Um, you can talk about smoking, caffeine. It doesn't matter what it is. There's, there's ways it could become enslaving. But I especially think you need to think about that. This one, when it comes to things like alcohol, yeah, I think one of the, just as a broader principle, I think one of the mistakes we make is we believe the lie that we can master sin, and in reality, sin always masters us. And so we have to understand that. So if we give it the opportunity, it will enslave us. And the and the irony is we won't realize until it's too late that we've actually been enslaved by it, which is why we need to be so vigilant to make sure that we're asking the question before we start, Is it? do I think it can be enslaving? Because it's better to give up my freedom of something so that I don't take the chance to become enslaved by it than to risk it and end up being enslaved by it. And so I think that's why we just have to be pay attention to what our proclivities are to what challenges us, what pushes our, our buttons to say it another way, and make sure that we do everything we can to avoid those issues, whether it's alcohol or caffeine or chocolate or even power or TV or TikTok or whatever it might be. Yeah, well, and, and social media is another thing that can be enslaving yeah <laughs> we're we're all learning that as <laughs> we try to navigate that so christ is to be our only lord and master and and we should avoid or not do anything that would make give us another master than christ and that's that's the point of that question uh so question number four is it consistent with christ's lordship Sinclair Ferguson explains this further in this way. He says, Is this course of action, this decision I'm taking, totally consistent with my personal confession that Jesus Christ is my Lord? I don't really have anything. I guess I would say this goes to uh, one of the Ten Commandments where it talks about using the Lord's name in vain. If, if you were to take part in this activity, would it bring shame to Christ? Would it dishonor his name? I think that's what Ferguson is getting at here. So when you come up with a question involving a gray area, we have to ask this. Is it consistent with Christ's lordship? Is it, am I going to bring shame to Christ's name by being in this place, by doing these things, by being with these people, is is it consistent with Christ's lordship? Yeah, and it's just to add some thoughts to that. I think one of our struggles is, if we're honest, we did that whole series on the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we take Christ with us. And so to tie that in with the first of what we just talked about, we also think that 
Jesus and I are like buddy buddy, and he's my friend, and I can do whatever, and I can take him, and I don't realize that he's actually the Lord and the Master, and so I take, I engage in activities that might not be wise or might be damaging to his testimonies, even if they're in the gray area. And so again, I have to be careful to make sure that it's, as Ferguson says, that it is consistent with Christ's lordship, and that, and so that I don't engage in activities that would make it harder for an unbeliever to want to trust Christ. I think this one is especially helpful for when it comes to using swear words or things I think like so. that. Because even though the the only thing the Bible, obviously the Bible forbids filthy talk. The Bible forbids you using the Lord's name in vain. Those, like, as a curse word or as a swear word. Those things are obvious. It's less obvious about which specific words, four-letter words, we can or can't say, right? Right. But I think the culture expects Christians not to use those words. And whether that's right or wrong is really irrelevant. But if they hear you using those words, is it going to honor Christ or bring him shame in their eyes? So you limit your freedom right? because you don't want to bring Christ shame. E- even if they're wrong about this four-letter word, and it's perfectly okay for you to say it, it's still better to limit your freedom than bring shame to Christ. Right. Just as another example, and I think part of this one is becomes cultural in relation because there are okay just if we're honest about it there are places down especially like in the bible about down south where there are places where christians aren't supposed to go they might be perfectly fine to actually go there but if you go there you're giving the bad opinion of jesus at that point because the assumption is christians don't belong there and so that's just another. So there's a cultural aspect aspect to it that it'll look differently in different cultures in different place parts of the country. Even in in different, it'll look different around the world. So we have to understand the cultural aspect of this one as well. And that this is another reason why it's important that you develop these convictions on your own with wisdom from others, looking at the scripture and and obviously through prayer and applying these things, because there's. They're gray areas. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Right. And it depends on where you're at. Because some of my African friends use use language that I don't use, but to them, they, that's not a cuss word. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So you have to develop these convictions on your own because they're, sometimes they're cultural issues and not, not moral right or wrong issues, Okay. So then number five, we had already asked the question, is it beneficial to you and to your walk with Christ? But this question is, is it helpful to others? Is it, in other words, is it going to help others come to Christ? Will it hinder someone coming to Christ? Will you be a stumbling block if you do whatever this gray area is? So it's not enough that it will be beneficial for you. It's not enough that it won't hurt you personally. We also have to consider how it will affect other people. The Bible commands us that we're to love God and love our neighbor, and these are the two greatest commandments. The Bible warns us about the uh, terrible consequences of causing someone to sin. 
So we, we really need to give thought. If I participate in this activity, that's a gray area. I know that as a Christian, I'm free to do this, but this is going to wound someone by either keeping them from Christ or it may cause a young, impressionable Christian to act against his conscience. We want to limit our freedom and not do that thing in that particular instance. That's what this question is really getting at. Is it helpful to others? We never want to be a stumbling block. We always want to be a... We, we want to be... Conduct people to Christ. We don't want to hinder them from coming to Christ. And we that ought to be evident in the decisions we make, even in these gray areas. Right. That our outlook is that ultimately... We desire to see everyone we come into contact with in some form, fashion, or manner conform to the image of the sun. And so we're not going to allow our activities, our choices, our actions to hinder that that work being done. And so we and rather than limiting that work, we limit ourselves so that we're striving to help others, whether those others don't know Jesus. And so we're trying to remove as many barriers. So we make decisions to remove barriers that would keep them from Jesus. So by the actions and the choices that we take, the places we do or don't go, the way we talk, what we do, the way we dress, whatever it might be in all these gray areas, or we want to help believers continue to grow because we believe that our walk with God is a community project so that we're all invested and involved in each other's sanctification. And so the choices I make, I'm making because I'm trying to help others because I, because as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we're seeking to be an, an example to those around us. So that's driving the decision that we make because we recognize ultimately we are not an island unto ourselves. And I think sometimes that's what we think, especially in American Christianity, that we think we're this island. It's just me, Jesus, me, the Holy Spirit, and a Bible, and I'm good. And, and, and you've got to be under the tree. Too. Right, and under the tree. And so, and <laughs> what I do doesn't affect, isn't supposed to affect anyone else, when in reality, we all know that that's just baloney. Every choice we make as affects other people around us, affects Christians, affects how they interact and how they view God and how... So therefore, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're striving to be helpful to others. I don't know about your strong language there. Man. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, baloney. That might be a gray area. It might be. Did you consider whether it was lawful before you used that term, baloney, as you did? I thought about it. I thought I was good. <laughs> well, it didn't benefit me. Now I want a baloney sandwich. Sorry about that. <laughs> So the final question that Sinclair Ferguson suggests, is it consistent with biblical examples? And so I think what he's doing here, we've already talked about, is it lawful? Does the Bible say you can't do that? I, I think he's broadening it here. Does, does the Bible ha- is, does the Apostle Paul face this situation, and what did he do? Did Jesus face this situation? What did he do? Did Priscilla and Aquila face this situation? And how did they respond? 
Old Testament characters as well, Ruth and Esther and uh, Moses, how do they respond in these areas? The, the Word of God is given to us. It's not just about examples, but the examples are there for us to understand. So we would do well to study the Bible, to know what the Bible commands and what the Bible forbids. We would also do well to dig deep into the Bible for the examples of Christian faith and Christian living and base our decisions on how others followed Christ in their lives as well and how they followed Christ in similar circumstances to what we're facing and follow those examples uh, as you can. So I think that's what Ferguson is encouraging us to do uh, in this last question. Yeah, I would agree. It goes back to just the verse we just I just quoted. Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." And so there's this example, this chain of reference that we see. And so we one of the benefits of Scripture is that it it's there that it gives us narrative, it gives us story, it gives us history. It shows us how people throughout time have interacted with truth and how they've made decisions and both for the positive and the negative. And I think for us to ignore that and to say that all I have to do is follow the follow the rules that come in the New Testament is foolish at best. <laughs> to be polite and nice about it since I'm not supposed to use strong language like baloney. <laughs> and so and so I think that's one of the things we have to, and why it's so important for us to go back to Scripture and we, us know Scripture and know those stories, it's why I think we teach Bible stories to kids, is it helps us create this frame of reference so we know what we're supposed to do so that we might not enter the exact same situation, but there's a reason why the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And so we can learn and glean from these experiences and then seek to make sure what we do matches the positive examples we see throughout Scripture. Right. To close, we didn't didn't have time. Time was limited, so we weren't able to like focus on any scripture passages per se. But for further biblical study on these issues, Romans fourteen and fifteen is a great place to start. Um, also, Roman uh, Romans, First Corinthians nine and ten are at, deal with this issue as well. So those would be good places to go when making. and and thinking through decision-making in these gray areas. So first, Romans 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians 9 through 10, those are some passages that you could go to for further study in this area. That's, That's good advice. So as we come to the close of another episode, what we want you to leave you with is this thought. God has given us the ability to make decisions, but but ultimately every decision we make, we are to make it so that we would be to the praise of his glory, so that may that be the driving force behind all that we do. 
We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to Ordinary Fellowship, where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.